This series, we are asking the question, what are we made for? Created, discovering what God made us for. And we're asking five of life's biggest questions. Five questions that the book of Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, three chapters, give us the answers to. The questions that we're asking is, where did I come from? Do I have value? What is my purpose? What went wrong? And is there hope? We are created to crave the answers to these questions. We are created to ask these questions. Our hearts long for the answers for these questions. When we're asleep at night in our bed, we wonder these things. The first week we talked about where did I come from? And the scriptures tell us very clearly that we came from God, that God created us from nothing with order by the power of his word. The second week, last week, we talked about do I have value? And if so, why? And God says, absolutely, you have value in my eyes. And the reason is, is because God has created you very good for each other in his image. Today, we're going to look at what is my purpose? What is my purpose? So if you would open up to Genesis chapter 1 with me. And we're actually going to skip around a little bit in Genesis 1 and 2. And I really don't like skipping around. But the answer to these questions are woven throughout the story of creation, throughout Genesis 1 and 2. And so instead of reading all of Genesis 1 and 2, we'll spare you. And uh, we'll just read the sections that apply to the question that we're looking at today. And so I'll kind of guide you as we go along. But let's start in Genesis 1. And we'll start in verse 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, let's go ahead and flip to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's go down to verse 15 in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And finally, let's look at verse 19 through 20. In Genesis 2. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for your word. Your word is so good. It is right and is true, Lord. Today we come asking the question, do we have purpose? And if we do, what is our purpose? And so God, pray that you would bless us as we study your word to discover 
your answers to these questions. In Christ's name, amen. Do you know, a little trivia, do you know, and this is according to Publishers Weekly, what is the best-selling hardback book in American history with over 25 million copies sold? Anyone know? Any guesses? Yes, Christian. The Purpose Driven Life. The Purpose Driven Life. It's obvious that we would spend our money and our thoughts wondering, what is our purpose in this life? What is our purpose in this life? The, uh, I went to Yahoo Answers, which is a great place to get illustrations, because there's a lot of Yahoos giving answers. And um, the question is, uh, someone asks, is, what is our purpose? What are we here for? And these are some of the answers that are given. And I wrote it down because some of them are kind of confusing, and I want you to track with it. The first one, one person answers, why does life need a point at all? It's just a ride, so enjoy it while you're at it. Another person responded, and this is the reason why I put this up here, because it's confusing, but entertaining. Um, He says, I love your question. What we call life is actually our limited, distorted observation of a system of forces defined as nature. This system manifests physical circumstances, which we call life. And the point of these situations is to awaken us to question the meaning of life. All of the people, animals, plants, and inanimate matter are enslaved and sustained by this force that costumes and matter. The purpose of life is to come into sensory contact with this force and to attain perception of it deeper than our current level physical reality. Now, I think you need a PhD to understand that one, but this is one of their answers. Finally, we all, well, we, well, excuse me, well, we have a purpose. I respect that you believe in God, but in my point of view, I think there is an afterlife, which is kind of funny because people who believe in God do believe there is an afterlife. But anyways, we get reborn back to earth in a different body, and it starts all over. Life is confusing. No one knows the purpose of life. Who knows? This might be a huge dream, and we are all in a deep, dark sleep. So these are people's guesses at the purpose of our life. And to be honest with you, none of them really provide any hope. None of them really provide any sort of satisfaction that our hearts long for. They're all guesswork. But the good news is that God, the one who created us, does give us an answer for what the purpose of your life is. And he answers it here in Genesis 1 and 2. And he's doing it because if you remember, this book, this letter is being written to Israelites who are wandering in the desert for 40 years wondering, does my life have any purpose? If I was wandering in the desert, I would probably be asking the same question. And so God answers that question here. And what we're going to see is that because we're created in the image of God, our purpose is to righteously rule the world for God's glory, that we are God's representatives on earth. The Bible calls us having dominion. If you would look with me again at Genesis 1, 26. Keep your Bibles open if you would, because we're going to look back at Genesis 1 and, 1 and 2 quite a bit. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Why? For what purpose? And let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Skip down to verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God has given us dominion over the earth. He has called us to be righteous rulers, to bear his image and to reflect his glory to the world around us, to the world that he has made. God has established an order in creation and he has set mankind over. It is a high and glorious and weighty calling that he has given to us. And so I want to just basically throw out to you what I think is God is saying is the purpose of our life, and then we'll sort of see how is that planted into our life throughout our day. It's written in your bulletin. It will be written up here, and it's simply this. Our purpose is to rule over creation in a way that reflects the image of God for the glory of God. Our purpose is to rule over creation in a way that reflects the image of God for the glory of God. And so we're called to rule over creation righteously as God would. And there are three areas in this passage which we're going to pick out where God shows us having dominion that we want to look at today. It's, it's far greater than that, but we'll start with these three. And one is by subduing creation, one is by filling creation, and one is by working creation. So let's start with the first one. One way that we reflect the image of God for the glory of God is by subduing creation. Look at verse 28 again. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. To subdue the earth literally means to put it under you, to have authority over it, to run it, to be the one who governs creation. And God is establishing this order again. He's saying that mankind is different than every other mammal. He's different than every kind of animal. He's not just another animal. He's far different because man is created in the image of God. No other animal is. You're created in God's image and you're given the duty and privilege of governing God's creation, of righteously ruling over it. And the first way that God gives Adam the opportunity to rule over creation, to reflect his image, is in naming it. Look with me in Genesis 2, verse 19 and 20. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And then this is what God did. And God brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And so by doing this, by God bringing the creatures to Adam saying, here, I want you to name these animals, what God is doing is God is saying, I want you to reflect my image by naming creation. We'll get to that in a minute, but God is the one who names creation. But then he turns it over to man and he says, you name creation because what you name, you will rule over. And so Adam names these different things and he, these different animals and he rules over them. Think of it like this. Some of you probably have dogs. You went to the pound or you went to a breeder and you bought this dog and one of the first things you did was you named the dog. You named the dog. You rule over that dog. You exercise righteous dominion over them by feeding them and treating 
them well. God is establishing in this passage man's dominion over animals. Many of you have heard of PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals, people who want to guard animals against the unethical treatment of exploitation, of extinction of animals. But you've probably never heard of an organization called ATEP, A-E-T-P, Animals for the Ethical Treatment of People. You know, our dogs aren't getting together while we're at church and saying, hey, how can we protect the people? How can we make sure that we aren't biting them too much or too hard? Right? The dog is the one who sleeps in the garage, not you. Hopefully. Right? Unless, unless your wife's mad at you. But that's a different story. But man has dominion over the creatures. And to ignore this would be foolish. But we're called to righteously rule over these creatures. We're called to righteously project, project God's image as we love and care for these animals. There is an order to creation. We aren't just mammals. We are created in the image of God to rule righteously for the glory of God. And what we'll see is as we look at these different things that God calls us to do in ruling creation by subduing it, by filling it, and by working it, is in all of these areas we actually bear the image of God. We represent God by subduing creation. You see, he has Adam named creation, but if you look, and you can trickle along with me, but I'm going to go fast. Genesis 1-5, God called the light day, the darkness he called night. God called the expanse heaven in 1-8. In 1-10, God called the dry land earth, and he called the waters seas. God is the one who calls creation, who names creation, but then he turns it over to man, and he says, here, this is your job, your duty. Bear my image by naming these animals. Subdue them. Have dominion over them. And so God calls us to reflect his image in that, in ruling over creation, in subduing creation. You know, sadly, many people will exploit creation. They, will, they, they don't care if, if they kill off an animal species as long as they have a trophy, right? And so what God says is, I want you to treasure creation, to rule over creation, I want you to enjoy it, not as a God, but as a gift from God. I created it, and I'm giving you the keys to the car. I want you to rule over creation, righteously subduing it. And so one way that we righteously rule over creation is by subduing it, governing it for the glory of God. The second way that we do that, which is pointed out here, is by filling creation. Look at 128 with me. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. This is probably one of our favorite creation mandates. It says, Go make babies. Go have babies. Fill the earth. Think about just how practical this is in filling the earth. This helps us to have dominion over the earth. You know, my family came up here in late July, and uh, they came from Texas, from Ohio, from Chicago, from Kansas City. They came from all over, and I was so excited for them to come, and so I wanted to make my lawn look really nice. And, uh, and so I went around, and I sprayed these weeds with Weed Be Gone. So I thought, um, I actually sprayed it with this complete vegetation killer. And so wherever I sprayed the weeds, I'd have these, don't laugh at me. 
wherever I sprayed these weeds, I'd have this complete bald stop spot where all the grass and the weed, I mean, it killed the weed, just killed a whole lot more than that too. And we probably had, I don't know, 10 spots in our yard where just these bald spots. And the good thing is I learned how to exercise dominion by planting grass seed and doing it well. Um, but the point is this, I have trouble exercising dominion over my own yard. All right. God calls us to fill the earth to help with exercising dominion over all of creation. And when we do this, we actually bear the image of God. See, in the garden, in paradise, sex within the context of marriage was a good thing. Many times we think it is something that is, that is dirty or evil or bad. I remember being raised up and someone in my church said that sex is a necessary evil. But God says it is good. Be fruitful and multiply so that you can have dominion over the earth inside the context of marriage. And we bear God's image in this. We bear God's image in procreation because God is the one who brings forth life. God is the one who brought forth the life of the animals. God is the one who brought forth the life of Adam and Eve. And he calls us to bear his image in bringing forth life. You know, God didn't have to create all of us through our mom and dad. He didn't have to, but he wanted us to bear his image in doing that. And so he says, multiply and fill the earth. Now, this is an important mandate, not only for people who are married. This is an important mandate for people that are single, for people that are empty nesters, because not only are we called to bring forth people to fill the earth, but we are called to fill the earth with righteous rulers, with people that live for the glory of God, people that love Jesus. And as a parent of three kids and a fourth one on the way, we need your help. <laughs> we need your help to raise our children, to love Jesus, to love the Lord, to rule righteously. I'm so thankful for all the people that serve in the nursery and the Sunday school, teaching our children how to serve and glorify the Lord. And so this mandate isn't only for those who are married. It's for everyone to help raise up your family, the church, and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we are called to rule over creation righteously in a way that reflects the image of God for the glory of God. And we do this by subduing creation, and we also do it by filling creation. Finally, we do it by working creation. Look with me in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so even in creation, God says work is a good thing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't believe this. I think last uh, Monday, I wanted to retire at the ripe age of 32. I'm done. I'm retiring, right? But God says work is something that is good. Work is something wonderful. God created us to live a life that is productive, that shows forth his glory it's not supposed to be just a contemplative life where we sit around saying, oh, and thinking about God. He calls us to work. Adam enjoyed his work. Adam enjoyed getting dirt under his fingernails. God called him to work the garden. And so what this means for kids is that school is a good thing, right? School is not a result of the fall. You don't believe me? It's true. Tests might be the result of fall, but school is not, right? School is a good thing given to us by God that we might learn of his creation, that we might be equipped to serve him and worship him. And so work is a good thing. When 
Moses wrote this letter to the Israelites wandering in the desert, the predominant religious thought about work at the time was that work was something that was evil, it was tedious, and it was horrible. As a matter of fact, many of the gods, their solution to not working, their solution from work so that they wouldn't have to work, was to create people to do the work. And so these gods would say, well, I want to get away from work, so I'll just create people to do the work. Many of you have heard of Pandora's box. And in that story, Zeus gives Pandora this jar and says, now don't you open it. Don't open this jar because don't open it. And Pandora can't help herself. And so she opens it and out of it comes all these evil, wicked, horrible things like death and disease and work. And so work has always been seen as this horrible, negative thing. If you can recall a time in your life where you were out of work, you might understand how work is such a good thing. I remember being out of work when we lived on, in western Wisconsin, and to a certain extent, it was dehumanizing. I thought, man, I don't have anything to talk to my family about. And it was discouraging at best. Then the movie Dave, Dave is a guy who helps people find work. Uh, he becomes president because he looks like the president, but that's beside the point. But Dave helps people find work, and he says this. He says, if you've ever seen the look on somebody's face the day they finally get a job, I've had the experience with this. They look like they could fly. And it's not about the paycheck. It's about respect. It's about looking in the mirror and knowing that you've done something valuable with your day. And so work is not a bad thing. Work is a calling from God. It is one way that we righteously rule over creation. If you look at Colossians 3, 23 through 24, God puts it this way. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We work for Jesus. You might get paid by a certain company, but you work for Jesus. This is your boss. This is who you're working for. This is how you exercise dominion. And when we work for God, when we work for Christ, we bear forth the image of God. Look again in Genesis chapter 2. Look at the very beginning. This is the last passage I'll have you look at. But in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so you see how this could possibly transform the way that we look at work, that we would see that work is not just a way to pay the bills. Work is a way to serve the God of the universe, to bring forth his dominion, to righteously rule, to righteously work, to bring forth his glory in the place that God has called us to work. Now, there are two dangers in this, and I'll go through them quickly. But the first danger is that people find their identity in work. And so they never rest. They have to work, 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 work. They always have to be available. They always have to be working because their value, their dignity, and their worth is caught up in what they do for a living. 
The other danger is this. You see in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, God doesn't only work, but God also teaches us to rest. Some people find their identity in their rest. They find their identity in their pleasure. And so all of life is about this wild ride in which all I need to do is make myself happy. And so all their time, all their money goes to making them happy. And work is just a way to pay for the weekend. It's just a way to pay the bills. And you'll notice this because the people who who live like this, who worship entertainment, who worship rest, Monday and Tuesday, they're talking about last weekend. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they're talking about next weekend. (laughs) Everybody's working for the weekend, right? You know the song. Jason can sing it later for you. But that's a danger that we live for rest or we live for work. And neither is right. God says we work and we rest and we reflect his image in that. And we find purpose in bearing God's image through work, through rest, for God's glory, because Jesus Christ's work at the cross gave, us, gave our souls rest with God. Here's something really neat. If you look at Genesis 2, 1 again, one of the things that you'll see is that on the seventh day, God cries out, it's finished. It's done. We're celebrating. I'm setting this day apart. We're making it holy because it's finished. Creation is finished. But this would not be the last time that God would cry these words, it is finished. On the cross, Jesus, as he's taking his last breaths, says, it is finished. What's finished? What is Jesus talking about is finished? It can't be creation because that's already done. What's finished? Recreation, redemption, salvation is finished at the cross. The price has been paid. You see, all of us were called to righteously rule creation. And it doesn't take us long to look at ourselves and to look at the news and to look at others and see that we have drastically failed to rule creation righteously as God has called us to. We have all failed to perfectly subdue creation. We have all failed to perfectly and in a holy heart filled creation and worked creation. We have all failed. And yet what God does is he sends to us the righteous ruler, Jesus Christ, the righteous ruler all of our hearts long for to come and to die for us on the cross, paying for our sins. But what's even more is that three days later, Jesus raises from the dead. He walks the earth. And he says, I will send my spirit upon you. And he ascends into heaven. And then he sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, inside of us that we might once again be conformed into the image of God, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 puts it this way. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so the only way that we could righteously rule creation as image bearers of God for God's glory is through the cross of Christ, that we might be conformed into the image of Jesus and do it all once again for our God. And so God does that in us and through us, through the cross of Christ. As you may know, we're asking these five questions of creation. And I found this interesting website this week called www.theonequestion.com. Theonequestion.com. You can look it up. It's true. And they have surveys and courses to figure out what your purpose is in life. And on that website, it says this. 
until you discover the purpose of your life, you're living a life of mediocrity. I think we've all felt that. I think we've all been there. Rise and be great. Do the great things you were made to, meant to do. Look deep inside you. Realize what is your life's purpose and your meaning of life. And when you do find purpose, you discover yourself to be a greater person than you ever dreamed yourself to be. The world you live in will never be the same and the opportunities life throws at you will be abundant. And then they say this final sentence. The meaning of life will be clear. Listen, you don't need a survey. You don't need a class to know what the purpose of life is. Surveys and assessments and classes are great at finding out what are your gifts, what are your passions, but God is very clear about what your purpose is in life. Whether you're changing diapers, whether you're running a company, whether you're mowing the lawn, whether you're subduing or filling creation or working creation, and all you do, the purpose of your life is to bear forth the image of God for the glory of God, by the grace of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us a high calling to rule over creation as righteous rulers, as your image bearers, and we confess that we have failed greatly, but you have sent your righteous ruler, Jesus Christ, to die and to live again and to live inside of us that we might once again be conformed into your image, into the image of Christ, and once again rule righteously. We pray that this week you would help us to do that, to find our purpose in ruling righteously over our children, over our workplaces, over the places that we live, God. Thank you that everything that we do has purpose because we do it for your glory, which lasts forever. So help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.